You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. All right, we are continuing uh, our series uh, that's titled Lighter of the World. And um, uh, today, uh, I, I'm always a little bit, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I prepare stuff, you know, to deliver to you guys, but I'm always a little bit, you know, self-conscious of my own blind spots. Um, so sometimes I get on something, and I'm just like, this is what God is saying, and, you know, go, 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 go. And uh, like week after week, I'm bringing it to you. I'm not hammering you with it, but I'm bringing it to you and putting it before you. Uh, and sometimes uh, I just wonder, you know, whether we're um, like beating, you know, it to death. Um, and so this morning, this is just like kind of a little bit of a step back and a breather um, from what God is calling us to do. I'm not backing up from what God's calling us to do. I'm just not talking about it in that way this morning as I have been talking about it. But we're going to be right back on it next week. So um, give you something to look forward to. Um, so the series, the um, key scripture for the series um, is also going to be our key scripture for, for today. Um, this is Jesus speaking, and he said, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this morning, I'm going to start with uh, a couple of verses before that. Um, so we're going to start with Matthew chapter um, 13. And, um, and I'm talking about being salt and light and, uh, and then we'll go back and talk about it. So we'll read the scripture, and then we'll go back and uh, look at it in some detail. Uh, we're going to have communion at the end of the service. You don't have to be a member here to fully participate uh, in communion. I know some congregations, you have to be like a member, or you have to be baptized there. And this table was set by the Lord for all of us, okay? And everybody is welcome here. So don't miss out on this. And now this is just me. It's not necessarily the Lord. But I would say, especially if you're that person that feels like God has been like, you know, knocking on your door this morning and saying, I'm really speaking to you, don't miss out on communion because this is sort of like his heavenly seal upon all of the things that he did and all of the things that he spoke and taught. Um, and he wants you to receive that fully this morning. So uh, just prepare your hearts to be able to fully participate in this. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is the, um, this, this is like maybe halfway through the Sermon on the Mount uh, that starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And, you know, Jesus begins by, by um, pronouncing these blessings. And like blessed to me, like I was raised Catholic, so blessed means holy. It means that a, a priest has, you know, like doused you with the holy water and said the words over you and you're blessed. Well, you can bless a table, you can bless a house, you can bless a you know, a church, you can bless all of those things. But that's not what the word means. The word actually just means happy. And it means like, oh, how very happy are. 
And so you can see the kind of um, uh, unusual juxtaposition of those words. How happy are the poor in spirit? You know, how blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you? How happy you are. And we've seen examples of this in the New Testament. We've seen examples of this in our church as well. People going through really difficult stuff. And, and what Jesus is saying there is a fact. He's not saying you ought to be happy or try to be happy. He's saying you, if you're walking in the Spirit and if, if you're a child of God, when you go through these things, you're going to experience some things that are going to make your heart glow. So this is a continuation of this. This is the you are's here, the two, you are the salt and you are light, uh, or I think 10 and 11 statements of fact that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. He's got plenty more to say after this, but those set the stage for this. Those um, blessed are set the stage for being the light of the world because when we experience the blessing of God, we can't hide it. We shouldn't even try to hide it because we're not going to be able to hide it. So we'll talk about this a little bit. He says, you are the salt of the earth. This word you um, is, uh, is emphasized. Um, when he says uh, you here um, in, in, the, in the Greek, um, the, word, the word is emphasized two ways. First of all, it's emphasized because it comes first in the sentence. So he's saying you are the salt of the earth. And say that now, say that with me. I am the salt of the earth. That was real uh, with feeble, so let's try it one more time with just a little bit more heart because, like, you know, I know you believe this. I know you believe this because Jesus said it, not because I said it. So let's say, I am the salt of the alt. Okay, say it with me. I am the salt of the earth, okay? That's, and he's talking to people that are just like us, just like regular, well, they're probably worse than us because they're fishermen, you know, they're tax collectors. Like he intentionally chose people that almost everybody could look down on if you were inclined to do that, okay? So he's saying to them, you are the salt of the earth. Like this whole earth is here for you to do what you do, to be what you are. You are the salt of the earth. So he emphasizes it that way. And the second way that he emphasizes it is that in the Greek, and this is all done to... According to my study this past week, I am not a Greek scholar. People way smarter than me are my sources for this. But several of them pointed out the fact that, first of all, it leads with the word you. And secondly, this word is not necessary in Greek. So it's like, it's like in our, if I was to say to you, um, you know, come here. I don't have to say you come here. The you is understood, right? And in, in the Greek, the way that this is structured is, like salt of the earth when he's speaking to them. He's like looking at them and he's saying, salt of the earth. But when he says, you are the salt of the earth, it's like when your mother used to say, you come here. It's emphasized. You know, it's like, I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about, and I'm emphasizing it, that I am saying this to you personally, listen to me, and corporately. How powerful it is when we personally get a, get a grip on the fact that God has called me the salt of the earth, but how incredibly, exponentially more powerful it is when I realize that that person on my left and that person on my right is also the salt of the earth, that we are the salt of the earth. And the power of that fellowship, it's not just a friendship, it's a joining of our lives together. So I'll say it like that to you. TCF, 
you are the salt of the earth. And I'll say, Michael, you are the salt of the earth. And, and Charles, you are the salt of the earth. And I could say that to each one of you, and I know the Spirit wants to say that to you. Okay? Because we can talk about the needs in our community all day long. And we can talk about the opportunities that are out there all day long. But if I don't know who I am, then it's just going to be an extra burden, that I let, like another obligation that I lay upon me. But if I realize who I am, I'm a glow stick. See? Then I don't have to try to be that. I just am. And all i got to do is just respond to what Jesus is calling me to do. Salt is... Several different things. Salt. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, I think he was referring to several different things. I'm not reading anything into it. I'm just telling you what salt is. First of all, it's seasoning, right? It makes everything taste better. Have you ever, have you ever like, I've known some people that are just not, um, shall we say, great cooks. Like when you eat their food, it's, you know, bland, you know, and tasteless. It's almost like they're afraid of making their food taste good. You know, like, I don't know why. I, if, you're, if you have to eat, you might as well eat something that tastes really good. And an essential part of just about every uh, type of cuisine is salt. Man discovered salt early on, and he put it on some meat, and he said, mm, man, that's good. And then Katie bar the door, because it's going to be all different kind of variations on that. It's not just savory stuff that it makes good either. It's also in stuff that you don't expect salt in. When it's like a sweet dish that has a little bit of extra salt in it, right? Like a cake or um, salted caramel or salted, you know, chocolate or something like that. It enhances the flavor of everything um, that it's in. Um, you are the seasoning. You are the seasoning. You are the salt. You are the one that enhances life for people. Okay, and I'm not talking about like in an overbearing or in a uh, know-it-all way, but just in a living your life on a daily basis and being engaged with people and being there to pray for people and being there. You know how this is. You identify yourself as being a Christian at work, and they may make fun of you, and they may call you preach, and they may, you know, you know like, but let them go through a difficult time and see who they call on who they'll give you a text to and just say, hey, man, will you pray for me? And I'm just like, you told me you were an atheist. And you're like, well, yeah, atheists pray too. That's like a little known, you know, dirty little secret that they have. They call us hypocrites. Are you guys with me? They do. They pray. They go to church. Professing atheists go to church. Why? Because they, just on the chance that it actually works, you know? And here's what I say. Come on in, man. The water's great in here. There's no downside, you know, to trusting your life to Jesus Christ instead of just trusting this little problem and that little problem. You are the seasoning. You are the seasoning. The enhancing flavor. You're the pop. It's your joy. It's your peace. It's your truth. It's your mercy. Listen, it's your love that is the seasoning in people's lives. These URs are not directed toward us. We're not the beneficiaries of these things. They are directed toward the world that we are called to. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It also has a preserving effect. And you know how salt preserves stuff? It kills bad stuff. That's how it does it. It kills bad stuff. 
And I'm not saying that every conversation you, need, you are in, you need to kill every bad idea that's in that conversation. But I am saying that you use your influence to stand against evil. The evil that is present, so present in this world, that's got its tentacles into just about every single nook and cranny, every single family, every single business, and you are the preserving effect. You are the effect that comes against evil. First of all, privately between you and the Lord, you have such power in doing that. But secondly, because of your presence, because of the things that you say, because of the way that you live your life, that you don't let evil become the standard. It's under attack. And it's under assault. It's under assault from you because you are. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You are salt. And the enemy curls up like a salted slug when he's around the truth, when he's around the light. Salted slug, you guys. That's in my, that's in my sermon right there. It was spontaneous. It just came off the top of my head. Sin kills, Jesus rescues. Left to their own devi- our own devices, we decay. But with the salt, with the wisdom, with the love, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are fighting against that just by who we are in the presence, in the middle of the world. There's a warning that comes with this, right? You are the light of the world comes with a promise. You are the salt of the earth comes with a warning. And it says, um, how shall its saltiness, if... Uh, If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And that's a warning to us. How can salt lose it? Have you ever had some salt and you like put it up in in the cabinet and then you come back like a couple of years later and it's been sitting there uncovered and you you go and you taste it and what does it taste like? Salt. Salt, that's what it tastes like. It doesn't go bad. I just told you it preserves things, right? How in the world can salt lose its savor? Have you ever, now here's the way, like the way that I use salt is, I used to use it with a shaker. You know the bad thing about using it with a shaker? You can't tell how much you're putting in there. Because like when it hits whatever you're putting it in, it disappears. So there's no way to tell how much you're putting it in there except one shake, two shake. So here's the way that I use salt. I use a little receptacle, and then I get a pinch of salt. And I know how much salt I'm putting in there with the pinch. That's how chefs do it. I watch cooking shows, and that's the way chefs do it. And that's, that's what they say. That's why they do it that way, right? So you put the salt in there. But look, if I'm going to put some salt in there, and I notice a bunch of brown and black flecks in that salt, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to throw it out and it's going to be trampled underfoot or it's going to go down the disposal, right? I'm not going to use it. How can salt lose its its savor? It loses its savor by being a mixture. It loses its savor by not being salt, but by being salt and dirt or salt and charcoal or salt and something off my fingernails, whatever it is. And you can't use it anymore. It's, It's useless. All Jesus is saying is, you are salt, be salt, be what I'm telling you to be, and don't be be a mixture. Don't be afraid to be pure, unadulterated, good old, mmm, that tastes good, salt. With me? It comes with a warning. You're the the salt of the earth, and you're not good for anything else. You're useless. Outside of that, when I first got saved, um, I was uh, working in the oil business, and we had a an office downtown 
uh, and in our office was a bunch of oil people. So, you know, I'm around a bunch of oil people all the time, got to be friends. Well, I shouldn't say friends necessarily, but acquaintances and on good terms um, with several of them. And there was a geologist that worked down there. His name was Ralph something. I can't remember what his last name was. Um, but anyway, we were kind of friends with him, and we would go to lunch every now and then, him and some of the guys from, uh, from my office. And um, one day we were walking downtown. Uh, I was walking to the post office. He was walking next to me. And he looked at me and he said, and I, I knew that this guy, as far as I know, he had no, um, no faith in Christ. Um, he was, you know, really rough and, and uh, you know, worldly, like a lot of oil men are and like a lot of insurance guys are and a lot of, you know, chefs are. And too, it's just like a lot of people are that way, right? Um, he just didn't seem like he was interested in spiritual things at all. And if I'd brought him up to him before, it's just been a kind of a blank um, uh, reaction. And he looked at me and he said, do you ever wonder what life is all about? Now, I'm a brand new believer, but you can drive a Mack truck through that. I mean, like, is there a wider opening? And I just said, yeah, you know, sometimes I do. I know you're waiting for the next part of that conversation, but that's all there was to the conversation. Because I'm in a hurry to get to the post office. I'm figuring if he's asking me this question, I can bring it up later or something like that. And as soon as I walked away from that conversation, I was just like, what have I done? Oh, God, give me another chance. And then you know how you get away from a conversation. You think about all these different things that you could have said, but it's gone. The moment is gone. I think God left me hanging there for a reason. It was a life lesson for me, and I remember it today because it was so glaringly obvious that God had, had given me an opportunity. I don't know if that guy was even really interested in spiritual things. He may have just been making conversation. I don't know, but I missed an opportunity. That conversation needed some salt. It needed some salt desperately. It needed a little bit of hope. It needed a little bit of purpose. I don't know the guy well enough to say, here's what's going on in your life and here's why you need Jesus, but I know my own experience and I can say what it meant to me and I can tell him what purpose is in my life and I missed the chance. And if you think it's stuck with me for a while, you are absolutely right. I'll tell you another part of this, and, and like this is the absolute truth. I shouldn't have to preface anything I say by saying this is the absolute pr truth, right? I mean, if I'm talking to you, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making stuff up, okay? But this is the absolute truth. But I don't have to tell you that because I always tell you the truth. But this is the truth, okay? But I don't really need to say that. Um, I was driving down old Jacksonville about three or four years ago and uh, heading toward Fresh. And just before I got to Grande, um, the traffic kind of slowed down. You know how the traffic slows down and there's like a space between you and the car in front of you and you're kind of closing on it. And technically there's room for a car to get in there, but you're just like... Not even, don't even try it, you know? And this white SUV just zoomed around me and just cut right in, in, in front of me. I don't like that when that happens. It, it just, my sense of justice, you know? And, and, uh, and, and just downright goodness um, was there. And not the sense of goodness to like get the, get, let the guy have a space, but the sense of justice that he shouldn't take the space unless it's offered to him. Um, anyway, so the light changes. People pull out, I come around on this side, 
and I'm just going to give the guy just a friendly, you know, look to let him know that I noticed what he had done. And I looked at the guy, and it was the geologist. And I hadn't seen that guy for 30 years. It was that guy that had asked me that I never got a chance again to say, you know, what is life, you know, what's the purpose of life? And then he zoomed off. And it was just the Lord reminding me, just the Lord bringing that to my mind again. And it was as fresh as that first day, and I was almost flushed with embarrassment to remember that stupid conversation and that, that opening big enough to dr- drive a, a diesel through that I had missed the chance. And it was just a reminder from the Lord saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And Joe, you could be like that. But that conversation needs salt, and it needs light, and it needs you to be that. Maybe he did that just so I could tell you that story. I don't mind telling stories on myself because Jesus loves me, and he's forgiven me for all of that anyway. So, and maybe that'll be an encouragement to you that if you failed in some way, worse than that, he's still with you. So then we move on to the next You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. This kind of has a lot of mixed metaphors in it, you know, um, which Jesus can get away with because he invented language. So if he decides to talk about a light and talk about a city and in the same breath talk about a lamp and a basket and lighting a house and all of that, we get what he's talking about, right? Light is meant to be displayed, and light is dispelling the darkness. It's not dispelling the darkness because it's trying to dispel the darkness. It's dispelling the darkness because of what it naturally is. Another place the Bible says the darkness tried to overcome it, but it couldn't overcome it. The darkness cannot overpower it. And he's saying, he said about himself, I am the light of the world, and now he's saying, you or the light of the world, in just the same way as he said it about himself. We are what he has made us to be. Just be that. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, let me just ask you. Like, most cities are built on a hill, right? And especially really old cities. Why? Because it is militarily tactical to, to be uphill so that your enemy, first of all, he has to go uphill. But if you've ever shot downhill, you know that the bullet goes a lot truer and a lot straighter when it's going downhill. The bullet or the arrow or the lance or whatever you're throwing is aided by the gravity. So that's why they build it, because it is militarily a strong thing. But Jesus is looking at a different aspect of being up there. He's saying you're up there so you can be on display. And so let me ask you, what is the hill that he has put you on? That hill that makes you stand out, that makes you on display, that makes people like notice you, is your talents, is your gifts, is your abilities. These are the things that people look at. And that that when they look at you, they're just like, that's an excellent person. Like the Bible said about David, he had an excellent spirit. And and when, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, when Jesus is working in your life, He is elevating you. But listen, there was another place that it says something like that. Jesus 
said this. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And what was he talking about there? Say it. You can say it. He was talking about the cross, wasn't he? And that also is the way that you are lifted up. You are lifted up in your brokenness. You are lifted up in your failures when he brings you back up from your failures. You are lifted up when you, when, when you are uh, at the bottom. You are lifted up when you go through difficulties and you endure these things with patience and with love. You're, di- you're lifted up because of the good things and the positive things, and these are the things that we always want and the things that we just thank God for because bottom line, we know we're not responsible for those things, but we're also lifted up because of the difficulties that we go through and because of the things that we endure and because of our brokenness. He was lifted up on the cross. He demonstrated what righteousness was. He demonstrated what um, sacrifice was. He demonstrated what love is, and that's how you demonstrate it in the same way. You are a city that is set on a hill, and God has made that hill out of your brokenness, out of your failures. He has made that hill out of all of the things that you would look at and say that's a negative thing. He says, oh, no. Oh, no, that's the stuff that I can build on. That's the stuff that is a firm foundation. Why? Because it's resurrection life. Because it's supernatural resurrection life. Because by all intents and purposes, you should have been dead on that hill, but that hill is the, is the platform that he uses to show forth his glory and his light to the world. There's three words in this sentence that stand out. First of all, it says um, that they will see, um, I'm sorry, in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your heavenly Father. In the same way, let your light shine. And, and this, is, this word, your, is talking about the distinctiveness of that light. This is not the conventional good works. This is a distinctly Christian good work. This is a work that flows out from, from heaven and not from earth. A lot of people do good works. What's the difference between our good works and their good works? Several different things, but mainly it's like what is the motivation? Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it to be recognized? Chapter 6, verse 1 of the the next chapter in uh, Matthew says, don't do your good works in front of people to be seen of men. That's not, those kind of good works are dead works. Even though they look good to everybody else, in the quietness of your own heart, you know you're just doing that to get noticed. No, what's the difference between our good works? Our good works are sacrificial. Our good works are without recompense. Our good works flow out of the nature of God and not out of our own goodness and our own nature. And those good works have redemption. Those good works heal people. Those good works, you could try to work it up and you could try to make it look right and you'd never be able to do it because the real deal is powerful. The real good works that we get to do are not the kind of good works that we would ever have done Otherwise, have you ever found yourself doing something that you're just, you just stand back and you're just like, I know I did it, but I know that it wasn't me. Have you ever done that? And that's what he's talking about. They will see your good works. And when he's talking about good works here, he's talking about um, the works that come from the Lord, not from down, from down here. So uh, there's a lot of things that pass for good works, and you may be doing this too, thinking here's the tick of all of my good works, and this is the reason why God's got to let me into heaven right? Those are dead works. Anything that you're relying on to get you into heaven, 
Anything that when you go through a difficult time, give me just one minute here, okay? You go through a difficult time and you start recounting to God, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. Every one of those things that you name suddenly have become dead works because Jesus is just like, why did you do that? Did you do it to get into heaven? Because you're not getting into heaven based on that. Amen? You just killed it. Don't do that. When you go through a difficult time, don't turn around to God and say, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. All he's got to do is say, well, I gave you Jesus. You know, he's got you trumped, right? You didn't need to do all of that stuff. It doesn't justify you, and it doesn't, it doesn't buy your way in. It's not, a, ba- it's not in a, a balance scale. I did this bad stuff, you know, but I did rescue that puppy that time in the rain and, and bring it home, you know. You know, I, I've got, none of that works. It's Jesus or nothing. And if you start that balancing act, you are in hot water, man. You are in the wrong, you're, you're, in the, you're not in the right religion, I'm telling you that. You're in the religion of self-improvement, and it's a dead end. And then the last one is that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And this is the first time in the first gospel that Jesus opens the door and lets them see the fact that his Father is their Father. This is the first time in the first gospel. Chapter 5 of Matthew, it's the first time in the New Testament that Jesus Cracks the door just a little bit so you can see the glory that all this time he's been talking about. His, his father, and like his the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the, the spirit descended upon him and all of that. And Jesus is talking about God like he's his father, which was scandalous. It was scandalous to be that familiar with the God of the universe. And this is the first time that he cracks the door and he says to them, and he says to you as well, your father who, what? Well, here's how we say it, don't we? Over and over again. Art in heaven. When he teaches them to pray, it's based on the fact that this, that it's your father in heaven, that big guy upstairs. Don't ever call him that, okay? It's not just a big guy upstairs. He's your dad. He's your father. And he's a better father than you've ever had, even if you had a really good one. Everything that was good about your dad is only something that flows from the Father. He's the Father of fathers. He's the ultimate Father, and He's yours. That's the reason why we are the light of the world, so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father. So Ralph, the geologist, did I tell you his name was Ralph? Okay, so Ralph, the geologist. I don't remember his last name. I wouldn't tell you anyway, but... um, says, you know, what's life all about? Do you ever wonder what life is all about? What is it all about? Giving glory to God. Now listen to me. One more second, okay? Seriously, just one more second. If I were to tell him life is about glorifying God, I might as well be speaking Greek. I mean, if I've got five seconds of a conversation with somebody, telling them some Christianism some hackneyed, and I'm not saying that it's not true. It is to glorify God. It's just like throwing a pitch way over his head, man. That's not in the strike zone at all, okay? And I know there's a lot said about relevance today, okay? And I'm not ever going to get caught up in what's relevant to this generation because I'll tell you what's relevant to this generation. Sin and redemption are relevant to this generation, just like any other generation. There was a guy from um, Portland 
uh, Oregon that came. And Portland is like the cutting edge crack of whatever um, in, uh, in our nation of people that are like in rebellion against God and not caring about God and all kind of pop, all of this. And he was, he was sharing with us, he said, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to you about how to share the gospel in, in a, in a uh, post, what do you call it, post-modern, um, you know, uh, situation like Portland. And he said, here's the secret. You, say, you share it just like you've shared it anywhere else. Because the, this generation may think that's not what they need, but it's what they need. But they need it in a language and in a way that they can understand. Okay. There's nothing wrong with relevance speaking a language that somebody understands. They should understand what this means. It's gonna, it took you a while to get it. It'll take them a while to get it. What they need is an honest assessment of your own life and an honest compassion upon them, questions that indicate that you really care about them. Ralph, why do you ask that? That's the open door. Why do you ask? Not where, how, like I've got all the wisdom in the world, but why do you ask? So that at least if I'm going to catch that fish, I know what I'm supposed to be fishing with, right? The right kind of bass plug or fly or, you know, or sane or whatever. Amen? So let me simplify this one for you. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or let's say it this way. Let your light shine so that they may see your life. Because that's what good works are. Good works are just your life. It's just what naturally flows out of you. Let your light shine so that they may see your life and glorify your Father who, is, who art in heaven. Or let me even simplify it further than that. Let your light shine so that they may see your Father in heaven. Let your light shine so that they may see your Father in heaven. Don't worry about your works. Your works will follow your character and your nature, and you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are His. You are His child. Don't worry about your works. Don't worry about the effect. Just worry about being who you are, who He says that you are, and let your light shine so that they can see your heavenly Father in a very real way. Amen? Let's come to the communion table this morning. and As we come, um, let's uh, just take a minute and prepare our hearts, okay? <clears throat> Let's stand together. If you need prayer this morning, just hold your hand up, okay? Thank you, Lord. If you're around somebody that's holding their hand up, will you just place your hand on their shoulder um, and just as a way to identify, just so that they know that other people are here, other people love them, and other people are lifting them up to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just pray softly for them as I pray, okay? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word to us this morning. I thank you that we are what you say that we are. Lord, not what we try to be, not what we ought to be. It's not some heavy burden, Lord. It's a release to just be who we are, be free to love you and to love others. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we bring our burdens to you and our needs to you, Lord, this morning, as we come to your table, I just pray that everybody who is extending themselves in faith right now would just feel lightness and lift um, as you minister to them, as they, as they cast their burdens upon you, Lord, that they will be unburdened, that they'll remember that you love them, 
and that you're there for them and that you got this. That they'll remember all of the things that you have already done, Lord. Whether it's the things in their own life or things that they read about in the Bible, in other people that you love and that you support, that it would just encourage them, Lord, that they would just not just hang on and white-knuckle it, Lord, but we will be willing to take those steps to walk in the fullness of the newness of life that you have given As we come to your table this morning, we remember Jesus. And we remember two things, Lord. We remember his body that was broken for us, which tells us what love really is. It's not what we think it is often. It's not a feeling. It's a part of his nature. It's who he is. He loves us not because we deserve to be loved. And that's even harder to love sometimes. But it's not hard for him because that's who he is and that's what he is. We remember his body that was broken for us. You said greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. And I call you friends. You have called us your friends and you have shown us what friendship is. And you have, had a, you have a broken uh, body to show for it. That's who we are. That's who we are. And the other element, just in case we forget, and just, be, just when we fall or when we fail, is that we have this cup, the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. It is your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So we are yours and we fail and you've got that too. You forgive our sins. We come to you today, Lord, in full confidence. We want our souls, our, our hearts, our lives to be as white as snow. Though they be as scarlet, you have made them as white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. I just encourage you to receive that forgiveness. Don't leave it on the table. Receive that forgiveness from Receive that reconciliation. Stop striving. Stop trying so hard. Stop getting so down on yourself. What he says goes. And he says you're in. And he says I forgive you. Thank you, Lord. We rejoice in that. Oh, there's not a thousand tongues that can express your praise, your redemption, your goodness, your power on our behalf, your life. Thank you for it. And now finally, before we come to the table, if there's something between you and somebody else, let's do business in the kingdom of God right now. Listen, if you've heard me say this before and the same person comes to mind in the same situation, That's not good. You're missing something. If there's a relationship that needs to be healed, that needs this cup and this bread, bring it to the Lord right now in seriousness. Bring it to the Lord right now in humility and brokenness. If you find yourself incapable of doing what you know that you should do, that's a perfect place to let Him break you and move you and you to walk in obedience. So God, we say we forgive. And that's, that's, a, that's a statement of faith. We, be, we forgive. And we know that you're going to give us the grace to forgive. And we want to reconcile, Lord. We don't want anything hanging over us, whether it's in relationships here in the house or whether it's relationships in our families outside of this house, whether it's relationships with unbelievers, people that don't even know you, Lord. What a terrible witness it is 
to be holding unforgiveness against those who are walking in darkness when that forgiveness, that reconciliation might be the light that breaks through their darkness. Oh God, forgive us. And we forgive and we extend that forgiveness. Can I have the um, elders join me? Um, we come from the sides and uh, receive the elements. And then some people like to share it uh, with um, family or uh, people. Um, you're welcome to do that. Um, and then after you've received communion, um, you're free to go. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this table, Lord. Thank you that you've drawn us together in the body of Christ. Even if there's people here that doesn't know everybody, Lord, you know them. You, and, and, it's, and the thing that we have in common is a heavenly father and a beautiful savior and a mighty Holy Spirit. And so we're celebrating that today. Thank you for this table, Lord. Thank you for what you have set this table with for us that is nourishment to our spirits. And I pray that you would empower us by this, Lord Jesus, to go forth and be salt and light as you have called us to be and as you have said that we are, and just to be bold, Lord Jesus, in doing that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.